I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show i was watching these music videos and i was like do kids these days like watch music videos and feel connected to like (laughs) i remember watching like nirvana you know when i was Mm -hmm. like in like seventh grade and being like oh my god like this is amazing you know like really connecting with music but it feels like the shit that they're churning out now is like yeah how does anyone have any sense of time period or like you know Mm. any connection to it totally yeah time is collapsing so many, so many, so many damn books. All right. Well, welcome to So Many Damn Books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Rachel Lyon with us in the damn library today. Hello. Welcome, Hello. Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you in the damn library to celebrate your uh, debut novel, Self Portrait with Boy. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to your awesome book, let's talk about uh, the drink that I made inspired by the book. I'm calling it Lou's Pinched Botanicum <laughs> because I like putting on airs. <laughs> and uh, it's basically... Um, um, Lou, the main character of Self-Portrait with Boy, she works at an organic grocery store for most of the novel. Um, and I just thought these are things that she could have stolen from her job, which she's often <laughs> stealing things to eat from her job. In fact, it's part of her personal economy. It's like, okay, <laughs> I can just steal everything I have to eat this week in order to continue living. Yeah. Um... So this is mint, raspberry, blueberry, a little bit of powdered sugar, and cucumber. And uh, I, you know, what's it called? Muddled. Thank you. (laughs) I muddled everything together. (laughs) I feel muddled. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, we just put seltzer. There's no alcohol in this one. This is a Beyond Booze... uh, concoction due to dryanuary right yeah Yeah. because we were recording this in the first month of the year first uh interview recorded this year too so thank you thank you for being (laughs) the first one of the year kicking you off but you know time doesn't mean anything anymore so yeah time doesn't mean anything (laughs) could be next year could be last year 
Anyway, so that's the that's the drink. Lou's Pinch Botanicum. You guys can make your own with any sort of fruit that you steal or pay for. <laughs> or, or pay for. Well, let's uh let's talk about what'd you buy, huh? Sure. Do you want to start? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll go. Um, I, uh, I have been thinking about how we're two minutes to midnight or something mm-hmm. uh, with Alan Moore. And I was, I just, I realized there was this whole Alan Moore series that I hadn't even heard anything about that has, is currently coming out about um, HP Lovecraft. Um, oh, and it's actually about the writer in Providence, and it's called Providence. And so I got the the first volume is out of print, but I got it from the library. Nice. So I didn't really buy it. Uh, what about you, Rachel? <laughs> um, the last book I acquired, I didn't buy, uh, but I definitely recommend it. It's called One of the Boys. Oh. Uh, Daniel Magariel, I think, is the name of. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I did a reading with him at KGB a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the Sunday before last. Um, and beforehand, I had gone to my publisher to hang out with my editor and sign some books and whatever. And she, I mentioned I was reading with him, and she was like, oh, he's one of our authors, and gave me his book. I read it in like, I'm a slow reader. I read it in like two days. Cool. It's, really intense and very cool it's about like two young boys that grow up with a father who is an addict um and like how uh what's the word it's like very claustrophobic he sort of like shuts them up he gets increasingly paranoid because of his addiction and shuts them up in the house and they live in this weird twilight world together it's very cool and very strange. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. That sounds intense. Yeah. I've, I think I've seen the cover. It looks like, like a broken blind or yes, something. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. slim, it's almost like a novella looking thing. Yeah, yeah. It's only, I think it's only like two and a half hundred pages or mm. something. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, I learned recently that this year is Muriel Sparks. Um, centennial no kidding yeah, she would have been 100 years old and um, I read the prime of Miss Jean Brody a long time ago like in high school mm-hmm. and I've never read any of her other stuff but I've always been really intrigued by her um, people talk She's about her amazing. as just like this amazing sort of writer of like kind of spooky kind of thrilling fantastic fiction uh, and so I decided on a whim kind of to dip my toe into the water and I picked up the driver's seat mm-hmm. uh, and I, I nearly finished it. it. It's like 85 pages. It's very slim and very propulsive. But I think I'm going to... I do this thing every year where I pick an author who like I've missed for whatever reason and try to read uh, like six of their books to catch up. Um, I had already decided to do Philip K. Dick this year. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm just going to double up because like all of the Muriel Spark works are super short. So I'm going to do Spark, Spark and Dick 2018. 
<laughs> Change we can believe in. Okay. That's a, a winning presidential ticket. <laughs> wow. All right. That sounds good. I, I read my first spark last year. I read Prime Prime Miss Jean Brody and I also I also really um her old versions of her books like all have really cool weird covers and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean there was that there's also that really nice box set that came out a couple years ago of that they re released all the all of her books together or something. Oh cool. Yeah. Um but I have been enjoying collecting the weird hardcovers that I've been coming across as I do. Nice. Yeah. I don't. I I read her for the first time last year too, mm. but now I can't remember which one it was. It was maybe it was the driver's seat. Mm. Mm, there were two. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but she's great. Well, you know what else is great? <laughs> nice, excellent transition, my friend. Thank you. Uh, we do this semi-professional. <laughs> um, is your book? Yes, <laughs> self-portrait with boy. It's an incredible novel. Um, when it, would you like to tell our listeners what it's about? Uh, sure. It's it's about a photographer living in Dumbo, Brooklyn, in nineteen ninety to ninety one. Um, who is she? Just she's like twenty seven. She's working you know, in a grocery store, as we said earlier, she's struggling to make ends meet and she's taking a self-portrait a day. Um, and on the 400th day of that project, she is taking a picture of herself in front of a window and behind her, a boy is falls past the window. And it turns out to be a really great picture. Um, and she sort of wants to use it to advance her career. At the same time, though, she starts developing a close friendship with this boy's grieving mother and so it turns into a kind of a ethical decision for her between um art and friendship yeah hmm. loyalty and ambition yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i was curious about the um the 90s setting in particular um mm -hmm. did the novel come to you as a 90s novel or did you start it like in the now and then decide oh it might be better to shift this back um yeah i think it started it definitely started as a 90s novel because i wanted to i wanted to write about the dumbo of the 90s which disappeared so quickly um and was where I grew up so I was there between the age of like four and ten super formative oh, years cool. yeah between I guess like yeah I guess like 1988 or 87 and like you know the mid 90s yeah so it's just yeah we moved out and already like they were starting to like there was a gymnastics studio around the corner and like um, I don't remember what else like a couple of stores had popped up. And so it wasn't quite the sort of wasteland that it was when we first moved in. And I wanted to like memorialize that that neighborhood that I remembered, I think. Hmm. I don't think I've ever seen another story that that captures that neighborhood at that time. Like it doesn't even now we know what Dumbo is and I think of it and I have this image in my head of sort of like the shiny storefronts 
powerhouse with the big windows and very expensive lofts. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. To, carousel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jane's carousel. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. cool to like transpose this Dumbo over that. Yeah. It looks so different now. It's true. It's interesting you bring up the, the carousel because the, the guy who is behind a lot of the transformation of Dumbo is that guy is uh, Willentis. Mm-hmm. What's it? I can't remember his first name right now. Um, but yeah, Jane is his wife. So he oh. made that carousel for her <laughs> in wow. that park. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like their playground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rich love. Uh-huh. It's, it's yeah. nice. It must be nice. It's nice stuff. I guess in the vanishing New York way, um, is there something like you miss a lot personally that you didn't get to quite put in the book? Or is it all there? Definitely it's not all there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... I actually sort of struggled. I, I semi started this book. I mean, it was fits and starts, but I kind of started it before I went to grad school, which was 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I started writing like little bits and pieces, drips and drabs in like 2008, 2009. And at that point, I didn't know if I was going to try to write a memoir or some kind of reported piece, hmm. um, like a history of Dumbo. So I started with a lot of research, um, like got into like the industry that was on the coast of the East River at that, uh, you know, at the turn of the century and like what those buildings were constructed for in the mid 1800s and like all of this stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of that didn't make it into the book. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a little kid. So what I remember is like, you know, the sidewalks were really sparkly. <laughs> and like <laughs> We had a swing in my living room that my hmm. dad like hooked through or he like, he like drilled holes into this beam in the top of our ceiling, which our ceilings were like 16 feet high, you know, and he drilled these holes and hung this swing and I could swing and see the Manhattan skyline. Lou's view is the view that I remember. Cool. So I could see like the Empire State Building and everything like bobbing up and down while I was swinging. And I mean, it was very magical to me as a kid. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it also seemed like you researched or you just know a lot personally uh, about photography, Lou's um, f- a photographer. Um, do you want to talk about that research or that um, artistry? <laughs> yeah, I um, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I did take a photography uh, photography class in high school. I mean, in college <laughs> 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 with this guy Emmett Gowan, who's like a really fantastic photographer. Um, but I like didn't really have the brain for it. I think I was impatient and like wasn't really interested in like the chemistry or like the trial and error that you need to do or like getting the right light reading or any of that stuff. I just like was not into. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, so I didn't end up being a very good photographer. Um, (laughs) and I did have to do a lot of research for the book. So I asked like, 
I have a couple of photographer friends who I asked a lot of questions. Um, I got in touch with one of the guys at Degal, where she ends up going mm-hmm. to get her photo printed um, and asked him a ton of questions. He was very patient with me. Um, but there were like so many technical questions that I did not foresee for a really long time. I had, uh, the book was like hinging on this negative. Now I can't remember what the exact problem was. I think she made like a print out of a slide or something, mm-hmm. but you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to make a print out of a negative. <laughs> yeah. And I like, f- and my whole like plot was like hinging on this thing. I gave it to somebody to read and they were, li- and it was like done. It was like a finished copy of the first draft. I think it was. Um, and they were like, you know that this doesn't work. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like very <laughs> wrong factually. So I had a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Sloan says, you know, he thinks that everybody who ever writes a novel should put art in their novels because they can, you can make up art projects that you never actually have to do or foresee. Um, And you did that. I mean, like adding to the tradition of art and novels, um, it seems like you had a lot of fun there. Oh my God. Yes. So much fun. (laughs) I love like Yuri Rayner who makes the, um, the like, clues there's like a there's a character for people who don't know there's a character in the um living in the building who makes these like investigations kind of Mm -hmm. where he takes pictures in different places at different times and like pins them to the wall with like red yarn the way that like you see in like detective movies or whatever um and calls them like investigations but they're all fictional they're all like he's like seeing patterns that aren't actually there in the real world. And like, that was something that I was like, I really want to do that. (laughs) That's like a metaphor for writing. You know, you like have these um, landmarks that you go back to and that you find connections between you. Like you have a scene in your mind, like, Oh, I know that at some point this character is going to drive up a wet highway. How am I going to get there? Like, I know at some point they're going to sit down in a diner. How am I going to get there? So I feel like, yeah, like the the art projects were very much places that my mind wasn't allowed to go in the final <laughs> product, but that I like really liked. Yeah, mm. I would definitely read the novel about that guy doing the investigations. I, I was like, this is cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Spin-off? <laughs> there you go or just the same novel from his <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah that's interesting it's like, i don't know everybody's freaking out <laughs> his child has lead poisoning <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah all sorts of problems yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could be um yeah and i mean this novel goes in really unexpected ways because really you're expecting lou to go upstairs and ask for permission the that's what you're expecting to happen. And it takes, it's the whole novel. Um, instead, there's <laughs> a, so much other stuff that happens. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I guess I I was just constantly amazed that you were finding new like wrinkles underneath things to go towards. Hmm. Um, it. What was the genesis of that? 
I got really frustrated with myself because because <laughs> it's true. Like this is a one problem novel. Like, <laughs> she either confesses and asks permission, or she doesn't. And like working with that tension, you know, it was in the second draft that I realized that was going to be the overarching dramatic tension throughout. Um, and I was like, how am I going to sustain that through a whole story? Like, that's not doable. I'm still not totally sure that I <laughs> did it effectively, you know. But I think I had to work in all of these other, you know, subplots and things because otherwise it would have been a short story. Mm. You know? It never felt like it, like you were going out of the way to be like, oh, and now she doesn't do it. Each time I was like, Yeah. I can see that. Like, oh, God, what an awkward... Yeah, I wouldn't... Oh, And she went back downstairs and like, yeah, I would have too, of course. It's, and, it's never like the sitcom thing either. Of like, yeah. Like some, like they someone got like a, I don't know, a stain on their dress and their presence. So like, oh, they, they can't deal with an, another bit of bad news right now. <laughs> womp womp. <laughs> the audience is like, no. <laughs> Um, one question that I have and anybody who hasn't read the book yet, maybe skip ahead by like two minutes. Uh The fact that there's a ghost in this novel and that that is nowhere. I loved that. (laughs) It was, it was such a genuine surprise when I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. It's a, it's a true a true haunting. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to know how how this evolved into something where that is a secret. Was that a conscious choice to keep a secret? Did it just sort of feel like that was something that, in some ways, is tangential to everything? Like, how did that? Mm. How does the ghost play in to the your creation of this novel? Well, process wise. When I was doing a lot of that research about Dumbo and the East River, I found out some pretty amazing stories about like deaths that happened in that area because, of course, you know, it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of industry. There, were, there was this. My favorite one was the Slocum steamship disaster. Yeah. Have you heard about I've that? I've heard about this. Yeah. It's the biggest disaster in New York City except for 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this giant steamship that was taking picnickers to like an island in the middle of the harbor and went up in flames and like thousands of people died. I don't know how that many people like fit on a steamship, but they, they had the bodies were like laid out for days because they didn't have enough transportation or enough room to bury them. It's Mm. very gruesome. So anyway, stories like that started like sticking in my head and I started thinking about like, I mean, I was already thinking about the idea of this boy who, who dies. And I was like, what if this boy was kind of like, swimming around with all of these ghosts you know in the river and like in Mm. the air and like underwater and like i just had this image of like the wind full of ghosts so that was yeah that was kind of where i started and i wrote a lot of um material from the ghost's point of view initially so the ghost was a speaking character for like 
maybe a draft and a half Whoa. before <laughs> um, eventually I cut most of those sections out because they tonally like just didn't fit with the rest of it. And then in the end, I rewrote the thing in Lou's voice and Lou obviously can't get in the head of the ghost. Right. So then that was really off the table. So it was really a wow. process of like, whose story is this? And it started as the ghost's story and now it's not anymore. Wow. Cool. Do, do you um do you personally believe in ghosts? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I have I do have ghost stories and like a lot of my friends have ghost stories and I feel like ghostly experiences like happen, you know? You so... have ghost <laughs> stories of your own and you don't believe in ghosts. Totally. Yeah. You know when like how, how does that work? <laughs> You know when Lou is talking to Frankie in the end and like or towards the end and she's like do people believe in these moss maidens and Frankie is like mm -hmm. it's not really like that that's not really what legends are for mm. like I feel like we have these stories and I could tell you like my ghost stories but like looking back on it do I think it happened kind of like it happened in my head like i don't believe that we're haunted by spirits all the time but like it's fun to have ghosts like it's fun to live in a world where there are ghosts and like tell ghost stories together and like hmm. i don't know all we have is like the minds that we live in right so right man <laughs> i want to like i want to put you and colin dickey who wrote this book Ghostland? that it like is exactly that about america and the way that like maybe ghosts aren't real. I kind of believe in them, but like not really. But he yeah. goes around the country and goes to spots where people are like this ghostly thing, and he's tracing why ghosts congregate in those places. Cool. But like that, just that idea that you're talking about of like, yeah, I've had, I've had ghostly experiences, but I don't really believe in them. It's like that is such a fascinating pivot point to live in. Totally. Well, it's like where fiction lives, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing about fiction is that we're playing with the truth and reality and like our experiences and like a lot of this is my own experience but most of it isn't but like it's still true to me like what does that mean for what's real and what's not real right mm. yeah yeah that sounds like a great book though it's really cool <laughs> um in case people are getting too spooked out <laughs> i wanted to just ask about um this this book's cover art in particular seems like it seems like a actual I've never really seen this before of the art project that she's both art projects that she's doing in the book are sort of represented in the cover art. Yeah. Um, and I was curious how you felt about like seeing this realized and 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 what what it was like uh, the cover art process. Yeah. I mean, I got really lucky the um Art director at Scribner, uh, Jaya Maselli, read the book, um, which I don't know. I know she knows about all of the books that she designs, but she, I, I met her briefly and she said she read it and really liked it and just decided to take it on herself. So I guess she was inspired by the, the photo quilt that Lou was making and mm -hmm. she found this picture and she printed it out and literally stitched it together and cool. photographed it so yeah those are real that's real stitching there neat wow. yeah you can kind of I, i'm just realizing that now like as i look at the back there's a one loose stitch on the back where you sort of realize like oh this is this is real yeah, yeah. it's cool i really like it 
Have you gotten to see the real stitched one too? No. Oh. (laughs) There's a quote that I actually want to ask. I want to ask the room about. Um, Lou goes back to spend some time with her dad uh, as he's recovering or trying to recover from cataract surgery. And uh, she's just, she's kind of having trouble Mm -hmm. as I think anybody would, but she, the quote that stuck with me is I was being poisoned by mediocrity. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting that you bring that scene up because I, to me, that's the saddest scene yeah. in the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and it's a book about tragedy. So <laughs> it's like <laughs> particularly sad. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I don't know about artists specifically so much as just all of us, you right. know, eventually have to break away from our parents and define ourselves separately. Um, I don't know. Every now and then you find a, adult who still like worships their parents but it's a weird thing <laughs> when you do see it you know mm. um yeah i was thinking a lot about like people that i know who came to new york to make a creative life and you know how they feel when they go home and like have to sort of code switch between yeah, yeah like art speak intellectual speak whatever the new york speech pattern is that they've like <laughs> adopted and like the way that they spoke growing up uh i might be one of those people that you just called out for being weird <laughs> <laughs> well hang on but do you i'm so sorry <laughs> do you like i wouldn't say worship do but do you feel like you get work done when you go I don't to get, see your I don't ever get any work done <laughs> in my life. That's fair. Okay. You read more than anyone else I've ever met. <laughs> Except for you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I've, it's never cutting into <laughs> the work that I was not doing before. It's just I'm not doing work somewhere else. <laughs> um and actually um my parents have a really weird like idiosyncratic library that is has actually helped uh kickstart some ideas and things that i never would have had in the past um and so i think you know if i uh i find my parents home to be a really strange like out of time place um, so I get that, that feeling, that out of time feeling for sure, mm. but I don't, I don't feel plagued by mediocrity there. Thank, thank goodness. Cause it seems really depressing <laughs> to feel that when you go home. Yeah. Hmm. I have to say for the record that I don't feel that way about my parents either. Okay. <laughs> they have a pretty cool space with yeah. like lots of books and art. And Are they artists? Good conversation. Uh, my mom's an artist. Mm. Yeah. My dad is he writes about art and he edits books and wow oh, yeah. cool nice yeah so you're in the family business yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like the perfect mix <laughs> of the two of them <laughs> it's very strange <laughs> 
or it's exactly how yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, scientifically that's it's a perfect that's how that should come out yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think that's what we learned with the genome thing right. the, the punnett the, squares yes yeah yeah speaking of of new york and its history uh eileen miles <laughs> um would you start by just telling us like why i remember we were trading emails about books where you're like oh we could do this and then you're like wait no i know <laughs> afterglow by eileen miles yeah would you tell us uh what prompted this Honestly, a friend of mine was visiting who has a dog (laughs) and we were talking about dog books and, you know, this one just came out. I really like Eileen Miles. And so it was like a spontaneous thing. It's funny, though. I feel like (laughs) looking back on it, those choices were so insanely different. (laughs) Like It was like we could read Stephen King Mm -hmm. or Eileen Miles, (laughs) both sides of the narrative spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a bit arbitrary, but, uh, I really like her. So, yeah. Yeah. And someday we will read Gerald's game. Mm hmm. We will. Someday. Maybe. Um, but yeah, Afterglow is a dog memoir, sort of. Sort of. Right. Like it's, it's so, it seems like she was writing out, like exercising the worst parts of her dog ownership a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. See, you know, she spends most of the time with Rosie as an elderly dog, like the last couple of years of her life, not really talking. There's a couple little sections about younger Rosie. And then there's also a lot of the book that has nothing to do with dogs at all. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, was, I mean, there's just a million experiments in this book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I found a, a quote um, before I had picked up the book. I had was just reading the New York Times review and they quoted some British publication called the White Review that I've never heard of. But Eileen had done an interview and mentioned that this is more fictional than any other book she thinks that she's written. Mm. And I was like, interesting and as i read it because there are these these wacky formal experiments there's like a talk show where rosie's on it with puppets which is hilarious and like borderline nightmare inducing um (laughs) the book opens with eileen coming back to her apartment with rosie and there's like a, a letter from rosie's lawyer yeah and eileen's like what the hell is this and rosie's just kind of like wait so was that not supposed to be real like a that she didn't actually get that le- we a weird fake letter. I think she addresses that in the book. Right. At some point, she she admits, or I don't I don't know if it's in her. Vo- I mean, that's the other thing about the book is that there's so many different voices being right. used. It's, yeah. There's Rosie as Rosie. There's Eileen as Rosie. There's Rosie as Eileen. There's Rosie as God and Eileen as a prophet. There's like. There's like both genders of both of them. Mm-hmm. Eileen as Jethro. Jethro. It's like <laughs> it's just so. There's and so many different. The harmonica, Bojean. Bojean. Oh yeah. Harmonica. Uh huh. Right. So I don't remember what uh, what voice it is, but at some point she does say that that letter was fictional. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, there. W- which experiment worked best for you guys? Um, mm. 
because there are so many and some work and some don't. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm probably more, I'm a little too conservative for Eileen Miles, really. You know, they're uh-huh. like, I think I liked maybe 60% of this book, mm-hmm. like 40% of it. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know, like, what have I done to these guys? I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really loved the like straight ahead narrative stuff and mm-hmm. like particularly the stuff about Rosie dying at the 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 beginning when she's actually dying in the vet's office. Oh my God. Heartbreaking, like brought me to tears. And then the end when they're walking on the beach to like scatter Rosie's ashes in the ocean again, I was like, Oh God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really hard. Yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, the most straight ahead dog writing where she was talking about taking Rosie to the beach another couple of times as and it also it's the only time you ever really see Rosie young yeah those were my favorite parts yeah. too because it's there I don't I think yeah I I'm a I guess I I, I like a little bit more stricture yeah. yeah to 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 my um memoir experience there's something yeah. I mean it's I think a- this was done this book was done uh, unkindness by being called a dog memoir as that being huh. its subtitle because I don't I don't think that that's really a good sort of indicator of what all is going on here mm. totally well yeah there are these moments that I'm with you Rachel like probably 60 maybe 65 percent of the book where I was into it and then 35 40 percent where I was just like what yeah like she includes <laughs> some talk that she gave twice in the span of like 10 years yeah. about foam and I was like what what the hell does this have to do with the dog and well, then I foam mean, she is does, everything she right. connects all of it later but there were these moments of just of personal narrative reflection right tied in but the the way that it works for me as a dog memoir is that I think this was this was her processing her grief, mm-hmm. even though it is years later. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's that's what worked best for me is anytime I had a moment of like what, just be like, grief takes all forms. Mm-hmm. It arrives in different ways, and the way that she works through friendship and dog ownership and the the sort of weird relationship i think about this with my parents dogs and uh danny and i are about to get a dog Mm -hmm. like maybe even by the time this episode comes out i think we will have the dog Mm -hmm. um and so there's like reading this right i I just started getting choked up thinking about dogs that i've had but also about the weird thing of like these animals that have sharp teeth and like are like basically almost wolves who we invite into our lives and who bond with us sometimes even more intently than we do with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I almost wonder if like that, the poetic craziness is what you need to process that kind of grief. Hmm. Yeah. I think I well, that was another sort of reason, a deeper reason. I think that I was curious about this book. I, I love stories about, people's relationships with animals Mm -hmm. like and animals relationships with animals too i mean animals are fascinating they're Mm -hmm. so strange like it's so weird how close we can get to animals and how close they can get with us and like that bond that exists across species is amazing but i think right like this seems like an exploration for her 
of all of these different kinds of ways that we can understand that bond like where the part where she thinks of Rosie as like her higher power in like mm-hmm. a kind of an AA type way was super interesting to me because mm, yeah. like this this dog meant so many different things to her and this is like one of the only ways I've seen that investigated I think like so often the human animal relationship is sort of diminished to like we are a conscious species and they are not conscious right and they need us and we need them but like this is so much more layered and confusing than that um yeah i just thought that was really interesting (laughs) well to me it also seemed like she wanted she's she'd written around a lot of things to make to make me feel like she wanted to keep all like the real best parts of her relationship with rosie to herself Mm. like she just wanted to talk about I don't know. She she was really get exercising. Is I just that's the word I kept thinking of. Is that like it's all this stuff that she feels like guilty about, or wishes were different, or like wishes the end had been different than it was. Sure. So it's all that stuff that she was like really trying to um, cope with in this. In some ways, it's kind of like what we were saying about ghosts and reality, right? Because there's all of these different ways of thinking about Rosie that are kind of fictional Mm -hmm. and fictionalized, right? But like, that's how she gets to the truth of this like super complicated internal thing that you can't put your finger on, right? Right. And the dog like ultimately represents like a speechless kind of communication. And like Eileen Miles is this like super verbose poet (laughs) whose like whole commerce is about language right so like here's this dog like teaching her how to communicate without language and there's something kind of holy about that Mm. um but like you can see her like over and over getting stuck in that problem of language Mm -hmm. this was my first eileen miles that i've ever read uh it's is she's very rambly (laughs) yes is she always like this is this is this all par for the course have you guys read i read uh chelsea girls and inferno inferno is definitely like yeah out there genre experimenty fiction stuff chelsea girls is i mean there's still i think that this is just i think this is who she is i think it's how she talks yeah um but it it is a little more structured in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm mostly familiar with her from her poetry. I saw her speak at um, AWP a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I think it was in D.C. Yeah, I think it was one of the years it was in D.C. And she was at this like music venue, like this gorgeous music hall with like tons of space and like two bars, one upstairs and one downstairs and this big like stage and the place was fucking packed. Like <laughs> all of these writers showed up and she came out on the stage and it was like chaos. Like everyone was like, yeah, I Miles. <laughs> like she's such a fucking rock star. It was so yeah. strange wow. and really great. Like mm. I've never seen a poet like that before, but she's like celebrity poet. So I don't know. She has that like the, the last of like the New York yeah. iconoclast thing. Yeah. Mm. 
you have your book open to a page. Is there a quote you <laughs> wanted to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> while I was struggling through some of the more rambly <laughs> passages here, I, I like realized I had this like kind of like stoner moment of like, oh, like I get what she's doing, which I don't know <laughs> if that if this is correct or not, but I feel like in some ways like the foam this like metaphor of the foam that keeps coming back which mm-hmm. like kind of was annoying me for a while <laughs> it's like what are you talking about with this foam mm. um eventually okay so i got here uh she's in this like aa meeting i assume she's calling it the group but i think i think that's what it is right yeah i think so um and she's been sitting there thinking about Uh, like what she's going to say, like somebody else is qualifying and she's sitting there being like, you know, I was as usual deep in my process of sculpting a moving response to the speaker up in my head, like a depressed lighthouse keeper and cool sneakers angling to ever so carefully slip my own sentiments up over the speaker's story, like an invisible mask through which my wisdom could slyly enter a giant face and take over the room. (laughs) So in other words, she's just like thinking about what she's going to say and not listening. And then when she finally does speak, all she can say is like that she's afraid that Rosie might have pooped on the floor and everyone (laughs) laughs you know which like right like I feel like that's the like the whole to me the takeaway from the book is like there's just a bunch of shit in the world and like it's overwhelming and you sort of have to pick and choose what to listen to Mm. and like that becomes your meaning Mm. yeah there you go I'm happy to like be one of those people who like, yeah, if I have to pick and choose what I'm going to listen to, I'm going to listen to my dog. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> More interesting than 90% of the other shit I'm going to end up listening to. Yeah. Right. I will say also that this book cursed me. Mm. Okay. Uh, my cat got very sick yesterday <gasps> no <laughs> yeah just yesterday he like his behavior changed completely he had vomited all over the floor he couldn't go to the bathroom i mean it was disgusting but um we took him to the vet and they were like it's a good thing you brought him in it was like nine o'clock on a friday night mm. last night um they're like he's gonna die if you <gasps> didn't bring him in I was wow. like, fucking eileen miles and rosie <laughs> <laughs> wow oh yeah. man Scary wow. times. So yeah, <laughs> sheesh. That's yeah. um. I don't know if that's a recommendation or not. <laughs> Stay away from this book if you have pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, use it to process your grief. Maybe. Yeah. I was thinking my parents for a long time gave copies of this children's book, Dog Heaven, Aww. whenever they had friends whose whose dogs passed away, and it's like it's very sweet, and they're like illustrations of dogs like romping through fields and that's what dog heaven is like um but i kind of like i think that this is this is a book that i would give to somebody who had just lost their dog and been like you're yeah. not going to get all of this stuff but like yeah i, I would not yeah. do that <laughs> it's not, i i just feel like i i would try to this this is this book is not a celebration of dogs i don't think oh man i disagree um it's i think it's a i think it's all about her demons of like the the worst parts of dog ownership and i don't know if i would want 
to be reminding that. <laughs> right? Reminding someone that I care about about that stuff while they are grieving for their own pet. Um, t- telling them like, oh, you could grieve this way. <laughs> I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about something we we recommend also. Yeah, sure. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you take a look. Yeah. You want to start, Drew? Uh, I will. I I have two. One is a book. One is something more broad. Okay. Um, the book is another photography book, kind of. Uh, Lydia Yuknovich's The Small Backs of Children. She's good. Oh, my God. Mm. Is she I good. I love her. That book, I read that book immediately after finishing Self-Portrait. I said it had been on my shelf for a while, and I was like, I want to read another photography book. Um and it's just that book about art and artists and oh my god um the baseline is like there's a woman in a sort of central europe war zone she takes this photograph of this child sort of escaping a bomb blast wins the pulitzer all of this stuff but then it it spins out and there's like a writer who the photographer used to be in a relationship with and her husband is a painter and they basically all set up this um it's not it's not a heist but they like decide they're going to go find this girl and and save her and bring mm. her to the states wow. uh, and it's just but it's crazy 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 good mm. is it all fiction mhm well i think so the writer has lots of similarities as far as i can tell to the author but whether or not that's you know that's like whether or not that actually means it's I don't know. I'm always conscious of like, just because an author writes a character who's like them doesn't mean it's them. Um, but I also couldn't not be like, mm, this writer lives in Portland. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but the other thing I want to recommend is just the the collected works of Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this is the first episode. She just passed away like a week before, not even a week before we recorded this episode. Um, and just if you haven't read any of her stuff, there's no better time than the present. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, would you like to recommend something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that I want to recommend is recommendations in general. <laughs> 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 so I've been starting my creative writing classes that I teach with recommendations every week. And it is so fun. Like, it's such a good way to get people talking, like, and you really get some insight into who people are from what they recommend. Uh, It brings the group together. It gets, you know, conversation going. And then at the end of an eight-week class, we have, like, a list of whatever it is, 80 things that have been recommended. Cool. It's really fun. Yeah. I've been wanting to collect them and, like, make something out of them, but I haven't figured out what to do yet. Um, speaking of Lydia Yuknovich, a friend of mine, uh, won a contest that she was judging that Lydia was judging called, um, through core press that's K O R E. And her book is coming out in March. It's called refuge. And it's all about, I mean, it's kind of an experimental memoir, 
um, that has to do with her work with refugees in different parts of the country. Her name is Ming Holden, and that cool. book is awesome. I just read the manuscript in December. It's really good. Mm. Um, I feel like I've lots of other things like i that just occurred to me and i had other ideas but i don't think of them right now (laughs) (laughs) no it's definitely something that's happened to me of like i'll I'll be introduced as someone who has a book podcast and they'll be like oh cool like what books have you read recently and it's (laughs) my brain just deletes Uh, all the books that i've read recently it's like i uh that person's a liar i don't have a podcast (laughs) (laughs) i can't even read (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, I, I do read books. (laughs) Oh yes. Would you, would you like to recommend some? Yeah. I'll recommend a book that I loved. Uh, the dead avocado by Elaine Dundee. Oh my God. This book. Um, I have moved this book from apartment to apartment (laughs) for nine years. Wow. And now I have finally read it. I feel like it's nine years. It might be it might not be that long. It might be a little less than that. But I've had it forever and I finally read it and I'm so glad I never got rid of it. Nice. It's an incredible novel um about a girl who's twenty one and she's in it's in the fifties and she's in Paris. And it's just I don't know, it's so interesting, especially in the current moment. Um reading about her like fighting against how people see her and how she wants to be seen and the sort of sexual freedom that she wants to be part of and but also is scared of and I don't know it's a really and it's hilarious I mean it is a really funny like slapstick funny book cool um and actually she uses a Rolleiflex camera at one point so it's just like oh my god like everybody (laughs) uses these (laughs) um yeah I, I was, it was so much fun. And I want to read some more Elaine Dundee now because that was awesome. Yeah. There's got to be more. Cool. Nice. I've long wanted to pick, it just has a, a very it's great arresting cover. cover. Yeah. The dud avocado? Yeah. Or the dead avocado? Dud. Dud. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting metaphor that actually, it's one of those um, moments in the book where it's, it says the title. And you're like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you almost just want like a bell to go off. Ding. The Dud Avocado <laughs> by Elaine Dundee. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so good. Oh, I have two more recommendations. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You just reminded me when you did the ding. I was like, what does that remind me of? (laughs) It reminds me of a web series called Catherine. Have Mm. you ever seen this? No. Oh, my God, you guys. It's Jenny Slate, Mm. uh, but like years ago. And it's all (laughs) It's kind of about an office. (laughs) It's just done in this super weird tone where like, Everyone kind of talks to each other very earnestly. The main character is played by Jenny Slade and her name is Catherine. And she wears these like dresses that look like 1992, like, you know, flower print and stuff. And she goes to work in an office. Each episode is like 15 minutes long. They're super fucking strange. (laughs) They're like kind of like if Twin Peaks was 
like inhaled a bunch of helium or something like it's like I'm light sold. twin peaks mm. yeah it's really good <laughs> it's really strange and really good and then the other one is another web series called um womanhood have you seen that one <laughs> that is is that one is also like similarly strange humor um with aparna nonchurla and joe firestone who are both mm. very funny and they um each episode is about like a different aspect of being a woman they're kind of like not true though or like, <laughs> like <laughs> i can't explain it anyway, i just highly recommend <laughs> all right nice yeah nice wow well we did it we did it 2018 did it. Woo! thank you so much for coming on the show thanks for having me rachel so we really fun. appreciate it and to all of you out there in radio land uh we really appreciate y'all when you write us itunes reviews um, we also really appreciate when you go on our Patreon, patreon.com slash SMDB. Um, we have different levels that you can support us if you'd like and contribute. Or you can just keep listening to the show. Yeah. Downloading it every time and listening to it and thinking, wow, those guys are smart and they have the coolest guests on in the whole world. And I buy all those books. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at the very least, boy, those guys sure do read a lot. <laughs> which is i think what i get the most from people in life they're like yeah i listen to your podcast wow <laughs> you guys read a lot and i'm like i do have a yep. book podcast <laughs> yes. so uh well thank you again rachel yeah thanks yeah. and everyone thank go you. out and buy self-portrait with boy it's fantastic yeah you'll love it Bye. goodbye Where they're just like reading books and they're like, I have great expectations by Charles Dickens. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's funny in my head. It's not so funny <laughs> out here with, with, with you people. Where's my dog? <laughs> <laughs>